0: All right, kids, if you want to come on up to the front, I would like to have a chance to visit with you for a few minutes. Isn't that a cool Afghan? I love that one. It's all bright colors. I wanted to read a passage of scripture. It comes from a book called Ephesians. Ephesians, can you say that Ephesians, this is a letter that Paul, a man who was a minister, wrote to his friends at the church called the Ephesians church. Sorry, my eye got itchy. And he wrote a prayer that he prayed over his friends. And I want to read you that prayer. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees to my father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul was saying to his friends at the church was he asked God to give his friends strength when they didn't feel powerful or when they felt small. He wanted God to give them strength and to let them know that God would take care of them. And he said, if they would just focus on Christ, guys, we need to focus on pastor right now, please. <laughs> that they need to focus on Christ and that they would be in faith, that they would be able to understand the love of God. And that because of that, they would have the power that they need to live what God wants them to do. And the reason I'm telling you this is that same prayer that Paul prayed over his church friends in Ephesians is the same prayer that I pray for you guys. Because sometimes, especially kids, sometimes you feel like, you don't have the ability to, to, to take care of all the problems that might come up. Sometimes you get upset and you don't feel like you can stop whatever's going on. Or sometimes you feel sad and you can't stop feeling sad. And sometimes you feel scared and you can't stop feeling scared. But you know what you can do? Whenever you feel upset or sad or scared, you can say, God, give me strength. God, help me to feel your love Help me to know that you're right here with me and God will take care of you. God will give you the strength that you need. Remember that song that we sang a few weeks back? Actually, why don't we do that song? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Why don't we get up and sing that one? Miss Evelyn, can you bring that video up? That would be a cool song to sing.
1: Big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Turn it up, Evelyn. The,
0: here, let me bring it up. I'll do it. I'm gonna bring
1: blood and made everything new. He got it to see and his people walk through. He held the poor. Boy- So mighty, there's nothing my like God cannot can do. Though we are sinners, we still gave us word. God sent His Son to live here on the earth. He hid the sick, He made life and sin. He met the lame off and He set the world free. He died on a cross and He rose from the grave. He conquered sin, He is mighty. He went to heaven and he's coming back. God's word is true, That if it's attacked, I'll look you in the eyes, My God is so big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. God the Father, God the Father, God the Son. One plus one plus one equals one. God the Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. One plus one plus one equals one. I want the world to know about my God. I want to live. and so strong and so mighty there's nothing my god cannot do god is so big and so strong and so mighty there's nothing my god cannot do wow thank you guys
0: for singing with me let me pray for you guys and then we're going to send you back to your class okay Okay. god when these kids feel small and isolated and alone and scared and sad and powerless i ask that you would just Help them to remember all they have to do is call out to you because you are powerful. You are strong and you are mighty and there is nothing you can't do. And you will take care of them and you will protect them and you will be with them. So, God, help them to learn that, that whenever anything goes bad in their life, all they have to do is cry out, Jesus, help me. And you'll be right there to help them. Bless them, Father. I pray now in Jesus name. Amen. Can okay, you guys head on to your class? Yes. Well, we have spent we have spent the uh, last six months or so, almost, talking um, about Samuel and Saul and David. And we are down to the wire. And uh, this one's not an easy one for Saul. Go ahead and bring up that first slide, Evelyn, if you will, please. Saul dies. He's actually going to die in two weeks. But he learns that he's going to die today. And if you look, and I've given you scriptures, you can take pictures of this to take them and look at them later. I'm going to read through some of these passages, though. First First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 to 14 says this. So Saul died because of his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. And he also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He didn't seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord... Put him to death and turn the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. That is an incredible indictment. Can you imagine if that's what was said about you after your death? You didn't believe God. You didn't uh, obey God. You even got involved with dark magic. And as a result, God literally took everything that was yours, just took it away from you and your family, no inheritance for your kids for your grandkids nothing your kids and if we were, if you in a couple of weeks we're going to read not only did Saul die but his son his sons died everyone died the whole line done in one day all because Saul didn't keep faith with God the next scripture talks about this disobedience um We don't need to reread it, but just know this one is back when Samuel told Saul that he was to wait for him. And that he would come and offer a sacrifice and a blessing. And Samuel was delayed. And as a result, the people started getting antsy. And the crowd started leaving and dissipating and Saul got all upset because he's like, oh, I'm losing all of my people. I got to do something to keep everybody in. And so he begins the, to do, make the the sacrifice, which was not his place to do. He was not the priest. And so when Samuel came, Samuel chastised him and said, you have no business doing that. But I, I, I no, no excuses. No, none excuses. You disobeyed and you knew it. And then the second one, Samuel 15, this is when Samuel gave Saul God's word that the Amalekite nation was to be completely destroyed, every single one of them. And God, uh, and Samuel did not, Saul did not do what he was told to do, and the end result was some escaped. And this is the word that you read in 1 Samuel 15, when Samuel is chastising Saul, and again, it's the Lord speaking through Samuel, the prophet. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen is better than the fat of rams. And here's the crux right here for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the lord he has rejected you from being king now samuel's chastisement to saul was rebellion is as the sin of divination does anybody know what divination is
1: spirits other than the lord
0: okay let you bring that screen up, Evelyn. What is di- what is the sin of divination? Divination is witchcraft. Divination is witchcraft. Uh, uh, Edie, you said asking. asking the spirits other than the Lord. Okay. The spirits. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, verses nine through fourteen, I'm going to read us the entire passage. I only have a little bit up on the screen. It says, "When you come into the land, okay." So this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. They're getting ready to go into the land of promise after the wilderness traveling. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells futures or interprets omens. Or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who requires, who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving these people out before you, and you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. That verse again, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord, your God, has not allowed you to do this. What this clearly says from, the, from Moses, the leader of the people, who was not only the leader, but he was also the prophet. You are being told very clearly. This is not for End of discussion. It is an abomination for you to get involved with any form of black magic or divination or charms or fortune telling or omens or casting spells. And necromancy is also listed there. I hate when you're asking a definition and they give you another word that you have to look up. What is necromancy? If you break it down, it comes from Latin. If you break it down, the first part is necro, which means dead, or corpse, or dead tissue. It also actually comes and it was in the I think it was the the 1100s. It used to be nigro nigro mancy, which meant black Divination, meaning going into the black arts. But then to line, it lined up with the Latin going back, it got moved into necro around the 1100s. Uh, that was the etymology of the word. But the necro literally means the dead. So like if you do a necropsy, you're doing a study of dead tissue. Okay? Well necromancy is div- divination by a specified means. Okay, divination means trying to divine, to learn the future, to learn about unknown things. So necromancy is to divine the future, to learn about the future, to foretell the future by coming in contact with dead things, dead people. Bring up the next slide for me. Look at the forms, different forms of mancy. We're going to talk about these in just a second. Necromancy, cartomancy, pyromancy, bibliomancy. But before we do that, let me read one more statement that wasn't on the screen, but you need to hear. Divination is a practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means. In other words... It's something beyond scientific understanding, something beyond the laws of nature. You're trying to gain information about the future or about some unknown thing without going through the scientific process. In other words, it's nothing that you can observe and touch and feel. It's something that you have. It's supernatural. It's beyond nature. And again... What did God say about divination? It is an abomination in God's eyes. It is not for the people of God. Forms of mancy. We just talked about what necromancy is. Trying to discern the future or unknown things by coming into contact with the dead. What is cartomancy? Cards. Tarot cards or even just a regular deck of cards trying to learn the unknown or the future by playing out the cards and interpreting what you read. Um, What about tea leaves, tea tea readings, pyromancy? What do you think that is? It has to do with fire. In other words, looking at the flames and interpreting what the flames are saying about the future This one is really this last one, bibliomancy. What do you think that is? What does biblio sound like? Sounds like Bible. Bibliomancy is the practice of opening your Bible at a random spot and reading the first word that you see or the first verse that you see and taking that as God's will for your life. People do that. I was taught to do that when I was yeah. a brand new Christian. I've been taught to do. But do you understand that that is a form of black art? That is not the will of God. Yeah, that's the words of God. But to open it up randomly and go, that's what God wants for me right now. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's that's black, dark arts. And what does it say about divination? Divination. It is an abomination before the Lord. We are, the people of God are not to participate in this type of activity. And we were taught it. At least I was taught it as a brand new baby Christian. Isn't that crazy? Now, let's go back to this this uh, situation with Saul. Saul... And we're going to read it in just a second. Well, actually, let's let's do this. Now, I'll just read the first few first part of it. Turn to First Samuel chapter twenty-eight. I don't want to get into all of it, but I do want to do the first few verses. First Samuel chapter twenty-eight, and I want to read. Come on. says, verse 3, Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And the Philistines assembled and came and camped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gelboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets remember Urim I said was the was the almost like a dice they threw so Saul the king has been challenged by the Philistines the armies of the Philistines have gathered in mass Saul sees this and it says he was scared to death it says his heart trembled greatly and when he went before God and said, Help! God didn't answer him. Why?
1: <laughs> because he had been trying to talk with him for a long time and he'd been ignoring him for a long
0: time. Exactly. <laughs>
1: That's my, thing, my
0: thought. <laughs> Bring up this, this slide for me, Evelyn. Somebody turn to Proverbs 15:8 and be prepared to read it out loud. Someone turn to Proverbs 15:29 and be prepared to le- read it out loud. And somebody turn to Psalm 66:18 and be prepared to read it out loud. They're all very short sentences and they none of them have big words so it shouldn't be too big. I've
1: got
0: 15:8. 15, 15:8. 8. 15, 8. Go ahead and read it. Oh, oh. I claimed
1: it.
0: You claimed it but you don't no, have no, it. No, I got it. <laughs> 15:8 no. Proverbs. Proverbs 15:8 Proverbs, The sacrifice of the wicked is an
1: abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright
0: is acceptable to him. Okay, stop. The sacrifice of the wicked God considers an abomination. It doesn't matter what you bring to sacrifice to God. It can be a very expensive, very very perfectly pure animal and you bring it before the temple to have it offered. But if you are wicked, God does not receive that sacrifice. God considers that an abomination. The only prayer that God finds acceptable is the prayer of the righteous. righteous. Now, let me let me share with you some stuff from current evangelical Christianity. I want to say it without causing harm. If you have a member of your house who is not serving God. Is rejecting everything about God. That's my my nurse telling me it's time to take my medicine. Hopefully it didn't stop the recording. Doesn't look like it. It wasn't interrupted, but it's back. Okay, I'll fix that later. <clears throat> if you have a member of your house who is not serving God, is rejecting the tenets of Christianity, refuses to believe the Bible, mm-hmm. God does not hear anything they say. Not that He can't. He just shuts it off. The only prayer that God will hear from a person like that is a prayer of repentance and confession. If a person will confess their sins, God will hear that prayer. If, God will, if a person will repent of their sins, God will hear and receive that prayer. But no other prayer. Oh, God, help my mom who just got diagnosed with cancer. God does not hear that prayer. But God's a loving God. Yes, God is a loving God, but God also has clearly said in His Word, "The sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to God." He has no obligation to hear those prayers. Look at verse, uh, chapter, Proverbs fifteen twenty nine. What does that say? The
1: Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer
0: of the righteous. Exactly the same. It is another restatement of exactly the same principle. The Lord is far from the wicked. He hears the prayers of the righteous. What does Psalm sixty-six, eighteen, said? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, what? Will not hear, will not hear it. The way, the way the, the, the English, the English standard version, which is the one I was been using, it says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So the question for me is, why would Saul even expect God to hear his prayer when he was asking for guidance about the Philistine army that was before him? Cause he had rejected God time and time and time and time and time again. He had the priests killed for heaven's sakes. So why should he expect God to answer his prayers? So what actually happens in this story? Let's go now to 1 Samuel chapter 28, but let's look at verses 11 through 20, okay? We we just read that Samuel tried to pray, wouldn't happen. So then it said then Saul, see me, that Samuel tried to pray, nothing happened. Then Saul said to his servant, "Seek out for me a woman who is a medium." that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said, behold, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went and he and two men with him. And they came to the woman at night and he said, divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, surely, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul this is the other thing that's so ironic here. Verse 10. But Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing.
1: Oh, that man. That, that may have pushed God over
0: the edge. <laughs> that is just, I can't even imagine the, how someone could be that, ugh. Then the woman said, okay, so whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You're Saul. And the king said, to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up from out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and he paid homage. And then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me and answers me no more, not by prophets or by dreams. So I have summoned you to tell me what to do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. And because you did not obey the voice of the Lord... And did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day. And all night. I struggle with this story for lots of reasons. Um, first of all, I have to wrestle with what is my theology when it comes to the afterlife. Now. Jewish theology back in the time of Samuel and Saul was that all living human beings died and their souls went to a place called Sheol, the place of the of the dead. Jesus taught through his teaching about the rich man and Lazarus, that there is a place that there are two separate places in Sheol, one called paradise and one called hell. And between those two places, there is a chasm so that you cannot get from one to the other. That was the teaching that Jesus taught when he talked about Lazarus and the, and the rich man. Now, again, it's hard. The question is, can a living human being who is practicing necromancy actually communicate with someone who is dead. It's in the Bible. Was this really Samuel that she was calling up? Was this a demon that she was calling up? What was this? Now, if we look at the details, trying to discern what we can discern, because all we have is what's written here. Apparently, the necromancer, the witch of Endor, the medium, whatever you want to call her, she was seeing something. Samuel, I mean, excuse me, Saul wasn't seeing anything, because he had to ask, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? So imagine Saul and his two aides are in the room with this necromancer and she goes into her trance or whatever she does to try and communicate with the dead. And she then cries out because she sees something and he says, what do you see? What do you see? And she says, I see a God coming up. Now, the word that's translated here, God, is actually the word Elohim. And it can be it can mean a God It can also mean a supernatural being. It can be there's a lot of different things that it can be. So she's not saying she saw God come out. It could be a demon that she's saying, but she's seeing a supernatural being. And he Saul, is convinced that it's Samuel. What is he wearing? What does he look like? What does he look like? He's wearing this hooded hooded uh, robe. Oh, that's Samuel. What does he say? What does he say? And then Samuel speaks through the necromancer and says these words, this pronouncement of death over Saul. Was this really Samuel who had been contacted by the necromancer? Scholars are completely divided. I mean, we're talking more than 3,000 years of study of these words and scholars are not in one accord. Some people say, indeed, God allowed this to happen so that God could pronounce through the prophet Samuel, through the necromancer to Saul, the final death condemnation and pronouncement. Some say it was a demon. Say, some say that it was Satan himself. We don't have any information telling us anything other than what we see here. So then we have to go to other areas in the scripture to see, is it possible that human beings can interact with demons. And go ahead and bring that. Oh, you did. Thank you. Um, there are different points in the scripture that talk about this stuff. Um, there's 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 a time when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and his disciples have been trying to minister to a child that has what well, today's words we say epilepsy. But in the in the King James, it says he had a demon. That would cause the child to go into seizures and throw him into the fire. And in, in, in that passage, if you read it in the older texts, it says Jesus himself said this type of demon only comes out by prayer and fasting. So there's there's evidence there. Um, there are there are throughout the Gospels, there are evidences of, of demons. Look at the man who was in the tombs. He was possessed by legion. Lots and lots and lots of Demons. So there is evidence that demons can interact, at least by inhabiting a human being. But can a human being interact with a demon that's separate from them? Because that's what this witch at Endor is doing, if it indeed isn't Samuel. And the only thing I could find in the scriptures is Acts chapter 19. And if you look at Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20, this is what it says. Thus God, excuse me, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of the Apostle Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were then carried away to the sick and their diseases would leave them and evil spirits would come out of them. So Saul, I mean, excuse me, Paul, was per, God was performing miracles through Paul such that even if he just touched a piece of cloth and then they brought the cloth to someone else and laid it on the sick person or laid it on the demoniac, that a healing would take place. And then it says, verse 13, there were some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. These were not Christians. These were Jews who did exorcism. And they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying these words, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing just this. But the evil spirit answered them, Now, I would assume he was speaking, the spirit was speaking through the person who was demon-possessed. And the spirits, the evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped up and mastered all seven of the other men, overpowering them so that they fled out of that house So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That's the only passage of scripture that I could see, that I could find when I did my study, where a human being interacted with another, with a demon, and the demon interacted back with the human being, and it didn't work out real well. And the answer in that is, those guys didn't know God. They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit giving them the ability to exercise authority. They were trying to use the name of Jesus, even though they didn't have the relationship. It's kind of like what Saul did. didn't have the relationship, but using the name of the Lord. And God sees that as an abomination and has no obligation to respond. What was intriguing to me the timing of this, the Alaska Public Radio this week published an article as they had interviewed the only Roman Catholic exorcist in Alaska. He lives in Sitka. And it was interesting. It's just a five-minute audio. You can listen to it. And you can. it's also the, the transcript is written down. It was interesting to listen to this man because this is a man whose job it is to interact with demons. And the one thing that he said that just was so striking, and it was the last thing that was in the interview, he said, if the person that I'm trying to work with has no faith, is not a person of faith, is not a person that's open to the things of God, there's nothing I can do for them. Now, this is a man whose job it is to exorcise demons. That's what he's called to do. But there's something about the individual who has joined themselves with the dark one that the exorcist can't do anything because the person isn't asking god to help mm-hmm. bring up that last slide for me evelyn please the question that i have for us is what is the proper course of action when we try to make decisions about our future this is what Isaiah said in, Acts, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When they say to you, inquire the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? One of the things... When I was a young person and I I, I, I have to be careful because I don't want to in any way cause harm to anybody else in my past with by telling my story. Um, there were people in my life who practiced witchcraft. There were people in my life who dabbled in Black arts. There were times in my own experience where I dabbled with it, too, before I came to Christ. Now, I had been reared in a faith. I had been brought to church regularly. I had been baptized and I studied the scriptures as a child. But I had no real relationship with God. And there were times in my life when I was overwhelmed by evil. And there was incredible, incredible fear and horror, if you will. I literally at one point in my life wanted to be a warlock. I wanted to be a vampire. I wanted to have that kind of power. Mm -hmm. Then I got saved at the age of 16. And then I got involved with a group of Christians on campus at my high school. And we were part of Campus Life Youth for Christ. And I actually hosted people in my home to, to host the meetings. And there was this woman, this young woman, my age, she wasn't a woman, she was a teenager. I can't, can't tell you what her name was today. But this woman had practiced witchcraft and had done dark things. And we all were playing with hypnotism. And I literally could hypnotize this other human being and cause her to do things that she normally would not have done if she wasn't under my influence. And I can tell you, there literally was a power that left me and went to her. I felt it. Now I'm a Christian. And I was playing with this stuff. And then God saved this young woman at a Campus Life Youth for Christ meeting. And that same evening convicted me and her that this was not a game. This wasn't fun. This was this was very, very dark, black magic that was an abomination in the eyes of God which was threatening my very soul. And the next day at school, after she got saved, we tried one more time to see if I could hypnotize her. Because I could literally hypnotize her from across the room. I could say, go to sleep, no, go to sleep, literally. So we were at school at lunch on the campus, and I said, is it okay if I try? And she said, yeah, and God had broken it and it was gone. The power that was there was no longer there. And she and I literally cried because we were finally released from that. And why do I tell you all of this? I tell you all of this because we live in a world that says that's ah, not that big a deal. It's just fun. Yeah, I love being scared. I go to the haunted houses every year because it's fun. I love having my, I love getting scared. It's just fun. I love watching horror films. It just, it makes me, it's just, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. But I will tell you as a person of God, it is not for you. Period. End of discussion. Because in the same way that Saul literally burned and seared his conscience to the point where he was still using the name of God, when he had no relationship with God and he couldn't hear God and he was scared to death and he was crying out to God and God was going, I don't hear, I have no obligation to hear your prayers. All because he did not obey in the little things at the very beginning. He allowed the enemy to continue to take and encroach more and more and more and more and more. So I'm saying to you, people of God, dark things are not for you, period. End of discussion. Now, your pastor went to the school carnival on October 30, whatever. And I'll tell you, frankly, I honestly don't have a problem with that. However, if someone asked me to sit and do a Ouija board, oh yeah, I have a problem with that. So you need to learn to discern. And the one thing that you need to hear is this. It is possible to be a Christian and to open yourself up to darkness. Because if you are not focusing on Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus, and you start looking at the other stuff and opening yourself up to the other stuff, there is potential for harm. I'll give you a case in point. Judas Iscariot. This is a man who lived with Jesus for three years and followed him. Instead, he gave his heart to him, but he ended up allowing the enemy to cause great harm and destruction, ultimately killing himself. Now, I asked the Lord, I've been praying about God. How do I end this? What do I need to say? And what I need to say to you guys is this. You need to be all in when it comes to God. Whatever that means to you. Old timers will tell you it's the unknown bundle. I walk up to you, God, with everything that's in my life and I consecrate it to you. All of it. It's no longer mine. Whatever the answer, whatever the question that you give me, the answer is always yes, Lord. I will. I say that now ahead of time. I will always say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And that's the key. Not just savior, but Lord. Not just saved from your past sins, but walking in a way that you bring glory to God through everything that you say and do. Letting him be the Lord of your life, being in charge of your life, and literally avoiding evil at all costs. Not allowing the enemy to have even a a tiny little hook. Pray with me. Father God, I ask that you would please let this story from Saul's life and the failure that we see be a, a stark warning to us that it is, a, it is not okay to play. The people of God need to stay away because the enemy's whole focus is to steal and to kill and destroy Because the enemy hates you so much. So God, I ask for your protection over these people. I ask God that we would align ourselves with you and you alone. That we would submit ourselves to you. That your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. And that we would avoid all darkness, Lord. That we would stay in the light as children of the light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Davian? You want to come up? Or Elsie? Somebody? is that here